Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, you can turn to Genesis chapter 3. That's where we're going to continue in our series through the story. And as we have been doing, we've been walking through the big picture story of, of the Bible. And so the Bible is full of stories, 66 books, uh, multiple authors, but it's telling one story, the story of God and His redemption. And one of the things that we do uh, in our elementary ministry is that from kindergarten all the way through fifth grade, we are constantly taking our sons and our daughters through the story as a church and understanding the gospel from different angles and different depths. And so that's what we're doing as a church over these 10 weeks is walking through uh, the meta-narrative of Scripture, which has four movements, creation, fall, redemption, new creation. Uh, last week we began walking through the fall and we are going to continue there today and uh, wrap that up. And um, as we do, we want to continue in the story of Adam and Eve and God's uh, work in their life and their rejection of him. So last week we looked kind of at the first part of the story and really tried to ask and answer this question, what is sin? And what we, what we came to is that sin is a rejection of God. Every sin is a rejection of God. Every sin can be against other people. It can be uh, something that is premeditated. It can be something that happened in the moment. But each and every sin that we have ever committed, will ever commit, and that happened here in the Bible is ultimately against God himself, which means there are no small sins. There are no, no, are no small sins. Every sin is against holy holy, holy God. And, and as you're turning to Genesis 3, I just want to read from Psalm 51. David recognizes this as he's repenting of his sin, which was against multiple people. He had a man killed, he committed adultery, had an affair, he, he abdicated his role as king. But this is what he says. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And David's not saying he didn't sin against anyone else, but what he's recognizing is the gravity of sin. And that every sin is ultimately against God. It's a rejection of Him. It's doubting Him. It's believing the lie that there are things better than Him, other saviors. It's a rejection of His rule and reign in our lives. And so what we're praying happens this morning is we continue in the story and we begin looking at the effects of sin, the consequences of sin that is spread throughout all the world in us and all around us, what we're praying happens is that we would grow in our understanding of our sin and the depth of our sin that we'd be broken by it. So just like we sang, our, God's kindness would lead us to repentance and that we would understand the beauty of the gospel. Because we don't understand the bad news, and the bad news isn't really bad, and the good news isn't going to be very, very good. And Charles Spurgeon said it this way, light thoughts of sin breathe light thoughts of a Savior. So if we don't think deeply about our sin and what it means and its effect, we, we will not think deeply about our Savior and His atoning work in our place. And so our prayer this morning has been and is continuing this day is that sin would become bitter to us so that Christ would be sweet, as the Puritans would say. 
or as, as David prayed, and I just want to read a little bit later in Psalm 51, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Verse 17, Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And so brothers and sisters, friends, this morning I want to give you just a reminder of the bad news, and that's that our sin is very great. Our sin runs deep, uh, but His mercy is more. And so we're going to look at how our sin runs deep, and then we are going to celebrate through the mercy is more part through the taking of the Lord's Supper this morning. So that's where we're going. Let's jump straight into our text. If you have your Bible with you, or there's one in front of you, Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 8 this morning. And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. If you underline, highlight, circle, you want to do that with this, this verse because it's one of the most important verses. They are running from the presence of God. In fact, our, our big truth comes out of this this morning. And all throughout the Old Testament, from this point forward, God's people are going to be trying to get back into God's presence. And they're always going to be separated from God's presence. You and I were created for God's presence. We were created to know Him, love Him, be known by Him, and sin separates us from Him. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And we talked about last week, that's not a directional question. God's not playing hide and seek. He's not confused. It's not, they doesn't know physically where they are. This is a heart question. Adam, where are you? What has happened to you? Look how far you've gone from where you were with me. And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you not, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman you gave to be with me gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Then the Lord said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity or war, adversity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And to the woman he said, I'll surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. So the curses are flowing to all of creation. It's affecting every aspect of it. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. You see the triune nature of God in these words. And knowing good and evil... 
now lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man at the east of the garden of Eden. He placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So Adam and Eve are, are kicked out of the garden by God. And at first that might seem like a harsh thing. This is actually an act of mercy. Because if Adam and Eve were to take of the tree of life, they would live in a perpetual state of sin. So just like we just sang, in God's kindness that leads to repentance, he removes them from the garden for their own protection. This is a heavy passage, but this is the word of the Lord. When I was around 10 years old, I honestly don't remember the age, but I can remember getting a Lego castle. Anybody in here enjoy Legos? Any of the kids in the room? Lego fans? Okay, a few of you. So uh, I love building Legos, and I had this castle, it was a Robin Hood castle or something like that, and it was awesome. It like opened up and closed, this amazing thing. Anyway, so built that, put it in our basement, and my dad was a student pastor at the time, and so we had some teenagers over one night, and they decided to play tag in the basement, but tag using balls, you know, so another form of dodgeball. And uh, one of them, the, the ball was thrown and went a little off target and careened into my castle, which exploded into pieces all over the floor, along with my heart and, you know, all my affection and love, and apparently I still have problems since I'm 33 and still remember it. So we'll save that for another time. But just everywhere, blew up everywhere. And I was just so, I was so disappointed. As, as we go into this passage, we read this text, what we see is that when sin enters into the world, it blows up everything. It wrecks everything. It distorts everything. It affects everything. Sin runs deep. It affects the snake. It affects the ground. It affects Adam. It affects Eve. It affects the way that they view God and one another. And all the world, since that point until today, has felt and is feeling the effects of sin. Every bad thing that you have ever experienced in this world is somehow connected back to sin. And that leads us to our, our big truth this morning is this, and this is what we want to get our heads around, is that sin wrecks God's good creation. So God made the world good, but sin makes the world groan. And every part of us, every one of us, every part of creation has been tainted, has been wrecked and ruined by sin. Even the good things in life, there's parts of it that are just broken, and we feel the weight of that brokenness around us in our world. All you have to do is turn on the news for about three seconds, and you feel the weight of that brokenness. Um, it's, it's everywhere, but it's not just around us, it's, it's in us. So last week we talked about how sin is ultimately it's a rejection of God, but the effects and consequences of sin, they spread to everything. And in this text, we see some of the ways in which that takes place. And so we just want to look at some of the ways that our sin wrecks God's good creation. The first one, the first big idea is this. Sin wrecks our relationship with God. Sin wrecks our relationship with God. And we see this in verses 8 and 9. Adam and Eve hiding from God. And I just want to give you a few ways in which sin wrecks our relationship with God. There's multiple in this passage, but I just want to highlight three of them. The first one is this. Sin leads us to run from God instead of 
running to God. Sin leads us to run from God instead of running to God. And again, in verse 8, we see this. God's presence, God's spirit, he comes in the wind, in the cool of the day. And when Adam and Eve would normally go to God, they are hiding from God. They are ashamed. They've covered themselves with fig leaves, trying to cover their nakedness. They are embarrassed. Adam says, I was afraid. And we see something's not right. Sin has affected everything. Uh, about a month ago, I, my, I had just gone down in my basement, and we had a mattress pushed up against one of the walls and come up, and then one of our other children, who remained unnamed just to protect uh, their identity, went downstairs and came back upstairs and said, oh, Dad, that mattress downstairs fell over, bye, and like took off, and you know, I was like, hold on a second, come back here, let me talk about this for a minute, because I know, according to the laws of gravity, that's not physically impossible, and you're the only person who's been down there. So did you knock it over? No, I didn't even touch it. I, I didn't touch it, didn't knock it over. Hold on a second. Let's talk about this. So we went from not touching it to maybe slightly grazing it to I knocked it over, it fell on me, and I got hurt. And I didn't want you to know because I was afraid you'd be upset. And so, you know, and this story went along. And of course, we weren't going to be upset this came over. Uh, this fell on, and they knocked it over. We were concerned about about him but this is what sin does instead of my child running to me for help he was running from me out of fear and friends this is what happens on our relationship with God when we when we sin against God instead of running to our father for help we run from him instead of running to the word we decide we might skip our quiet time this day. Instead of running to prayer, we run from prayer. Instead of running to God's people and to the church, we run from the church when we are in sin because we are afraid of being found out. We're afraid of what's going to happen to us. We're afraid of, of God's rejection and wrath. And so the beautiful thing, and we'll spend a little time on this later, but God is still pursuing them even though they're running from him. Our sin causes us to run from God instead of run to God. Another thing our sin does is sin replaces worship of God with blame. Look at verse 12. I think this is incredible. Start in verse 11. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Then the man said, The woman, this is really important, you gave to me. You see what Adam's doing? He's not just blaming Eve, he's blaming the God who gave him Eve. Friends, before we get really hard on Adam, we do this all the time. We look at the brokenness in our lives and the things happen around us, and instead of being thankful, worshiping God, choosing, we doubt his goodness, we question his character, we, we blame God for our sinful choices. Well, if you hadn't done that, if you hadn't put me here, if, if you hadn't given me him, if you hadn't given me her, if you hadn't put me in this job, then I wouldn't have. And we begin blaming the one who created us, who's given us life and breath and everything good. This is what sin does. It, it breaks our relationship with God. It turns good things inside out. And this happens in us. And a third way that sin wrecks our relationship with God that we see in this text is that sin ultimately removes us from God's presence. 
It removes us from God's presence. If you look at verse 23, you can see what's happening here. So in light of their sin, it says, Therefore the Lord God sent him, Adam, Eve, out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. So the Garden of Eden isn't just a place. It represents God's presence. It's the first tabernacle. It is the first holy place. And because of Adam and Eve's sin, they are pushed out of God's presence. And this is the way that we live. This is what sin does to us. It pushes us out of right relationship with God. It pushes us out of His presence, that we cannot be in right relationship with Him. In fact, this is what makes hell so bad. We believe in a literal heaven and a literal hell. We believe in eternity. But what makes hell so bad is not flames and torment, those things we believe are true, but what makes hell so bad is it is eternal separation from our Creator, pushed out of God's presence forever and ever and ever and ever. The God of life, the God of joy, the God that we were made for, this is what our sin does. It causes us to run from God, but also separates God from us. But not only the sin wreck our relationship with God. Secondly, a second big idea is that sin wrecks our relationship with creation itself. It affects our relationship with creation itself. And we see this from verses 14 through verses 19. And it's seen through the lens of curses that God gives to the serpent and to the woman and to Adam and to all of creation. So the first thing we see is that all creation is damaged by the fall. There's not one part of this earth that has not been affected by the fall, affected by the curse. So I want to look at two verses really quickly again. Verse 14 says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you. It's really important. Again, if you highlight, circle, you want to highlight those words. Cursed are you. And then if you look at verse 17, he's talking to Adam he says, cursed is the ground because of you. And the reason why these words are important is because up to this point in the story, God has done nothing but give blessing. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was very good. God blessed the man, and God blessed the man and the woman. It's been blessing, 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 blessing. But now we have curses coming from God upon our relationships, upon the world itself, upon animals, upon the snake, the curse has come. And we use this language a lot in church as far as the curse is found. And the curse is that sin has come upon all of us. Not only has sin affected all of creation in general, but specifically. So we experience things like creatures warring against us. I hate snakes. Anyone else in the room hate snakes, spiders, that kind of stuff. These, our fear for them and their animosity toward us, this is a part of the fall. Pastor Austin and I uh, like to joke, but we're also serious. We believe glitter is a part of the fall. Like that could not have been in creation, but it is now here and it spreads everywhere. It touches everything. Um, we'll keep going. Not only do we have issues with creatures themselves, but we have natural disasters. We have famine, we have tsunamis, we have earthquakes, we have devastation because of the fall, because of the curse, because of sin. We experience sickness, cancer, 
we experience death because of sin. Not just Adam and Eve's sin, because of our sin, your sin, my sin. We've perpetuated it. In fact, we, we read just last month as we were going through Romans, Romans 8, that all of creation it groans, longing to be made whole again. The earth feels what, what we feel in sin. It's affected everything. It affects our work. Work is toil and wearisome. We talked a couple weeks ago about how work is a good gift from God, given before the fall for God's glory and for our joy. But now we see in Adam's life, God's saying, you know, work's going to be hard. Work is going to be difficult. Work is not going to be fruitful anymore like it was. We experience that today, right? Some of you have a job or have had jobs that you hate going to that you despise, that it's hard to get out of bed, and it's a result of the fall, it's a result of sin. Thirdly, pain is an everyday reality. We experience pain physically and emotionally and relationally, and it's because of the fall. Again, we see Eve is experiencing pain in childbirth. Adam is experiencing pain in his work, and they ultimately are going to experience death. And many of you came in this morning in pain. Maybe that's physical pain, emotional pain, and loss. Some of you have come in mourning. Even this morning I had a conversation with a man mourning the loss of a loved one. All of this brokenness, all of this pain is because of sin. Not just their sin. Our sin. Your sin. My sin against God. Sin wrecks God's good creation. It wrecks our relationship with Him. It wrecks our relationship with the world. But in creation, lastly, it wrecks our relationship with others and ourselves. Others and ourselves. So I want to touch on both very quickly. Let's talk about the others first. And the way we see this played out in this text is between Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, their relationship is broken and affected by the fall. Last week we talked about in Genesis 2.15 how God had given Adam this charge to be a priest. He was to work and keep the land. He was to minister and to serve. Again, Eden, it's, it's the first temple and he was designed to be there to, uh, to be a, a voice for God to the people to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with worshipers and to protect all creation and humanity from eating of the tree. That was his job to be a reflection of God to the world. To lead Eve in worship. To teach her the truths and commands that God had given him. But then when we read verse 6, and it's mostly about Eve. She sees the fruit. It looks good to eat. It's desirable to the eyes. It's desired to make one wise. She takes the fruit. She eats it. And during this whole encounter from verses 1 to the first half of verse 6, if you're reading this for the first time, you're asking the question, where is Adam? Where is Adam? Why is he not there? Why is he not doing anything? And I heard someone just say it. He's right there. Look at verse 6. So she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. He was there the whole time, and what we see happens in their relationship is a result of sin, is that Adam abdicates 
his role, his responsibility. And this is what sin does. It leads to abdication, to deception, distorted desires in our relationships. And I just want to speak to the fellows for a minute, to my brothers. Two ways that this often happens in our lives, guys, is it comes out in the forms of passivity or dominance in our relationships. So Adam, he's there with Eve. He has the command. He has spoken face to face with God. He knows what's right. He knows what's true. And his wife is being lured into temptation. And instead of stepping up, knocking the fruit out of her hand, chopping off the head of the snake, and doing what God had commanded him to do, he sits back and lets his wife take the fall and then joins her in it. It's passivity. And brothers, you and I are going to be tempted to do the same thing. You and I are tempted to do the same thing, to sit back and watch other people fall instead of stepping in and doing what God has created us to do and to be, to lead for His glory. The other side of that, that we fail and we fall, is dominance or being domineering taking advantage of our position and taking advantage of someone else and unfortunately there's story after story in our culture of this happening and but we even see this here God addresses Adam first what have you done what has happened and instead of taking the fall taking the blame he blames his wife and he blames God. He uses his seat of power for his own advantage to try to deflect sin towards someone else. And brothers, we're going to be tempted to do that. To either be passive in our relationships instead of lead, or to be dominant and domineering and take advantage of those in our lives. And both are grievous sins against God. Sisters, As we read through this text, we see that there's temptations for you here. And one of those clear temptations is there's a deception, a distorted desire, where you are going to long to take the role of your husband away from him. This is not popular, what I'm saying. This is not in line with culture. We live in a culture that says the future is female, and you don't need anybody, and you lead yourself. But what God says here in verse 16, is that your desire shall be against or for your husband, meaning to take his place, and he shall rule over you. And ladies, this, this is not a lifting man up and pushing you down. This is, this is saying that, and there is a part of sin and a deception of sin, there's a lie that's coming for your heart and your mind that says, You should take a role that God has not given to you. And just like Adam was tempted to be passive and to be domineering, you're going to be tempted to believe that God's purpose and God's plan for your life and your role, you need to have more control than what he said. And it's a slight deception. The Apostle Paul, he picks up on this in 1 Timothy 2. If you want to go read that chapter later, you can. He, he talks about this as well. And it's, it's a lie coming after your heart. When men are loving and following and leading in a way that reflects the example of Christ, and, and wives are reflecting the example of Christ and submitting to God, and they come together in that type of pursuit, there's flourishing there's joy there's not one taking advantage of the other putting down the other it's the way God made it to be but sin breaks that down 
And those lies are coming for your heart. They're coming for my heart. Distorted desires, deception. In fact, Jeremiah 17, 9, he talks, God talks about this. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick or it's incurably sick. Who can understand it? In layman's terms, that means your heart and my heart, it's, it's twisted. We can't trust ourselves. We can't trust our motivations. We can't trust what we think. We, we have to have a new mind. We have to have a different way of thinking. But not only does sin wreck our relationships, but it actually wrecks our relationship with ourselves. Sin replaces personal wholeness and flourishing with brokenness and death. For the first time in creation, we see some of these words in this passage about you and about me. It's not just things around us are broken. We are deeply broken. Chapter 3, verse 7, Adam and Eve experience shame. Chapter 2, 24, there was no shame. Now they've experienced shame. Have you ever had shame enter into your life? Say, so probably many of us come into this room bearing a lot of guilt and shame. Shame enters in the story because of sin, but not only shame. Verse 8, we see that fear enters into the story. Adam says, I was afraid, and so I hid from you. So instead of having perfect relationship and communion, now they experience fear. Fear is a result of sin. Thirdly, blame is a result of sin. We've talked about that one already. Blame is when we push someone down to lift ourselves up. And ultimately, death. Physical and spiritual death. To dust you are, to dust you shall return. Sin wrecks everything. And again, I know this is not popular message. This is not a feel-good message. I know that our culture doesn't understand this message because our culture wants to push against the idea that we are not good. And friends, this word tells us that because of our sin, we are not good. No, not one. We are all desperately wicked, desperately broken. And that bleeds into every part of our lives. But I don't want to just end there. There is hope. There is gospel. There, there is a way for us to be made whole. And we can actually see it in pictures within this text. And so here's where I want us to end before we go to the table this morning. In this text, amongst all that is dark and discouraging and horrible, we see some glimmers of hope. One is we see God's pursuit. God's pursuit of us. Again, verses 8 and 9. God comes to Adam and Eve in their sin. It's beautiful. God comes to them. God knows what they've done. He, he knows that they've eaten of the fruit, and He still pursues them. Friend, God knows what you've done. God knows what you've thought. God knows what you've said. God knows how you cheated at work. God knows all those kinds of things, and God is pursuing you. That you are here this morning is not by random accident. 
It is God's loving pursuit of you. Friend, if you are here and you are not a Christian and someone drug you here or you came because you're trying to figure things out, you are not here by random accidents or random chance or just because someone brought you here. God is pursuing your heart. He wants to save you. He wants you to know and experience His love for you. That is why you're here this morning. And those of us who are believers, we understand the depth of our brokenness, and God pursues us in spite of it. That is good news, that God is coming after Adam and Eve. When they, they have hidden from Him, He comes after them. But not only do we see God's pursuit, but we also see a promise that God gives. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, this is titled by some theologians, the first gospel. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between her seed and his seed, her offspring. Again, women don't have seed. He's talking about a virgin birth that's going to come. And then he makes it even more clear. He says, he, the serpent, or he, the son, will bruise your head and you, serpent, will bruise his heel. And it's a picture that one day a son is going to be born of a woman who is going to be wounded by the enemy, but he will crush the enemy's head. And when Adam and Eve are hopeless and they cannot fix their problem, God says there is going to be a son who is coming who will make all things right. He will be bruised. He will be crushed. In fact, Galatians says he will become a curse. He will become a curse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law to become a curse for us. He will become a curse to break the curse. I love uh, the hymn that we sing during Christmas time, Joy to the World, and the second verse says he's come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is bound. So as far as the curse reaches into your life and my life of creation, he's come to make his blessings flow there. This son that's being promised. But not only do we see a pursuit and a promise, but we also see a provision. Look in verse 21. And it's easy to just gloss over this. The man called his wife named Eve, verse 20, because she was the mother of all living things. In verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. We don't want to skip over these words. For the first time in history, there is death. And it's not death at the hand of Adam or Eve, but the hand of God. Killing an animal, we don't know what kind, I like to think a lamb. His blood is shed and skins are clothed so that Adam and Eve, there's a sacrifice that is made so that they can be clothed by God. And it's a picture that one day blood is going to be shed on, by the hand of God himself so that you and I might be made whole. You and I might be clothed. We might be made righteous by God. So God is pursuing, God is promising, and God is providing and protecting them. And I began talking about how they hid from God's presence and that we long to get to God's presence. And all throughout the Old Testament, God's people are trying to get back into God's presence but when Jesus went to the cross and he died for your sin and he died for my sin the second 
Adam, at that moment, the, the scriptures tell us that the veil of the temple was torn. And the veil stood between man and God, the holy of holies and man. And at that moment, that veil was torn. And just like the cherubim was standing guard to protect us from God's promise, because of Jesus Christ, now we can come back into his presence. And so in a moment of deep darkness and hope and sin has affected all of us, there is that hope of the gospel. And that is what we celebrate this morning when we come to the table. We remember the depth of our sin that cost the Son of God his life. His blood was shed and his body was broken because of your sin and my sin. But it was also shed so that we might be set free and cleansed from our sin. Let's pray together. Father God, we come this morning meditating on the depth of our sin, and may it be bitter so that you might be sweet. And as we come to the table now, as we respond by taking of the bread and taking of the cup, we ask that you would help us to confess and repent and turn and believe in you. We thank you for the cross. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.